Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, he shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. The devil is the master of intimidation. And boy, he's got a lot of ways that he can intimidate us today as Christians, doesn't he? It seems like the culture can intimidate us. The religious crowds can intimidate us. Just life itself sometimes can be overwhelming. We live in a a nation today that is becoming more and more anti-God, more and more anti-family, more and more anti-religious, and 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 the country gets more vulgar and wicked and devious with every turn, it seems. And religious freedoms and liberties are being taken away, and God's people are being silenced in public forums, and there just seems to be this pressure of government control. But may we not forget that the Bible tells us, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Fear not, I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, I will keep thee. You see, God is still in control. God is still sovereign. God is still on his throne. And we may not understand all that is going around us in this world. We can know that thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. I love Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help when? In time of trouble, right? And when we see trouble, when we see uncertainty, when we see chaos, that's the very time that God wants to be our refuge and our strength. Now, the devil loves to intimidate us. And he can intimidate us into all kinds of discouragement, disillusionment, and defeat. But God desires that we live a life that praises him. That we rise above all this stuff going on around us, and we live to the praise of his glory. That's why he created us. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So let's kind of go through this story this morning and see a number of steps that can and should lead us to being uh, uh, in a place where we can praise the Lord regardless of our situations. Notice, first of all, a provocation. If you decide that you're going to be a Christian and you're going to be the right kind of Christian, the devil is going to provoke you in some way to see if what you declare to be true is what you're going to demonstrate with your life. You see, we come to church on Sunday morning and we sing these songs. And so with our mouth, we're declaring, I love the Lord. I'm declaring by my presence here in church that I've set aside this time for him. We're declaring something. But the devil this week is going to provoke you in some way 
to see if you will demonstrate what you declare. Notice here there's a provoking of truth. In verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Satan hates the fact that there's only one true God. Did you notice that? He said, is it true that you will not serve my gods? Notice the plural there, the little g-gods. What is this? Why won't you bow down to this God that I've made? The devil hates the fact that there's only one true God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath, and there is none else. God is God and only God. Look unto me, be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for there I am God and there is none else. And God doesn't share His glory with anybody or anything. In Isaiah 42 and verse 8, He says, I am the Lord, that's my name. My glory do I not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. The devil wants to have a multiplicity of gods in your life. Because that way you can be God of your own life. You can become God. So there's a provoking of truth. But then notice, secondly, there's a provoking of trust. You see, most of us in this room, we believe in only one God. We don't believe in a plurality of gods. We believe there's one God. So the devil knows that. He knows that's what you believe. So now he'll provoke you and say, but can you trust him? Okay, you've got one God, but can you trust him? Is he reliable? Is he going to come through? I mean, how do you know that he's going, to, he's going to get you through this? In verse 15, Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? See, first he provokes them about truth because they they won't accept multiple gods. They take their stand. There's only one God. He says, okay, but can you trust it? Who's this God, this capital G God that you believe in that's going to deliver you out of that furnace? You see, the devil understands that you believe there's only one God, but he's saying, uh, you going to be able to rely on him this week? Is he going to come through for you? What if he doesn't? Isn't that what Satan did in the Garden of Eden? Hath God said? Right? First thing the devil did there in that Garden of Eden was, can you trust God? Can you really believe what he said? Did he really say that if you take of that tree, you'll die? Can you trust that? You see, the devil is going to tempt you to, to wonder about whether you can trust God. I love Isaiah chapter sixty or chapter forty six and verse four. It says, "Even to your old age, I am He, and even to your hoar hairs, your white hairs, I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and I will deliver you." God says all the way through your life, even to your old age, I am He, and you can trust Me. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So we see a provocation. 
But notice, secondly, a proclamation. There's no hesitation here in the heart of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they're confronted by this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, they're not saying, ah, king, could you, could you give us a few more minutes to kind of think about this? Uh, we'd like to call our pastor, get some advice. Uh, we'd like to kind of check and see kind of the lay of the line. No, there's no, advi- there's no hesitation here. They didn't have to take time to pray about it. And can I just um, advise you this morning that we better decide right now how we're going to respond to the provocation? Because it's coming. The devil's going to provoke us. The devil's going to try to get us off track. The devil this week is going to bring something into your life to try to get you to quit, to get you to get mad, to get you to get angry at God. And we better decide ahead of time, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what our response is going to be. And notice this proclamation. It was a proclamation of refusal. In verse 17, or verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Your intimidation is not going to work on us. The pressure that you're bringing to my life is not going to change me. They had already decided. It was a proclamation of refusal. Solomon tells his son in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In other words, he's saying, son, you got to decide right now. It's going to come. The temptations are going to come. Somebody's going to try to get you off track. Decide right now. When it comes, I'm not going that way. That's what Moses did. When he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's what Joseph did. Joseph is there in in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife tries to sexually entice him, but he refused. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to say, well, what am I going to do now? No, he had already decided if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. So it was a proclamation of refusal, but it was also a proclamation of reliance. Look at verse 17 again. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. That's faith. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. It was a proclamation of revival, of reliance. We're going to trust God in this, they were saying, whether it's by life or by death. Isn't that what Paul said? Whether by life or by death, I'm going to glorify God with my body. In other words, we get to choose who we serve. The choice is ours. The consequences are God's. And they made the choice to follow God. They made the choice to serve God. And if God decides that they're going to burn in that furnace, that's okay. For me to live as Christ, to die, that's gain. That's a promotion, right? So they said, whether by life or by death, doesn't matter. We've already decided we're going to refuse. We're going to rely upon God to do what is best for us. We live, we love unto the Lord. We die, we die in the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And so, here was a proclamation. I love John Huss, who who died a martyr's death. He was burned at the stake. And as he was dying, he said, What I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. 
In other words, when the persecution came, John Huss wasn't changing his, his view. He wasn't changing his mind about what he believed. He wasn't saying, just because there's persecution, just because there's provocation, I'm going to wimp out now. No, what I taught with my lips, I'm going to seal with my blood. There was a provocation, a proclamation. But then notice, thirdly, a pressure. The devil doesn't stop intimidating us just because we say no. Someone has said, opportunity knocks but once. You ever heard that phrase? Opportunity knocks but once. I've added to that. Opportunity knocks but once. Temptation leans on the doorbell all day long. And sometimes you can miss an opportunity if you don't take those opportunities. But boy, temptation is always ready and available. It's always trying to get us off track. And the devil doesn't stop his his pressure just because we say no. The story I referred to a moment ago about Joseph. When Potiphar's wife tried to entice him into sin, he said no. And the next verse says, as she came to him day by day. See, just because he said no doesn't mean the the, the devil ran. No, when you say no, when you refuse, the devil's going to keep coming. And notice the pressure here. There was an intimidating fear in verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. This is not a bluff. Let me just say... We in American Baptist churches today better understand Satan's not bluffing. What we're starting to see in this world when it comes to intimidation upon Christians, Satan's not bluffing. It's real. Satan's not a nice guy who backs down when he meets nice people. I mean, we may nicely say, no, Satan, I'm not going to do that. He doesn't, oh, you're nice, I'll leave you alone. No, the devil hates us. The devil hates this church. He's not going to just back away because we decide we're not moving. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there's no truth in him he's a liar and the father of it you know the devil has never one time in his entire existence told the truth there's no truth in him whenever the devil speaks he's lying he's never told the truth he's a murderer and he wants to destroy everything there is that belongs to god the thief cometh not but for to steal to kill and to destroy so an intimidating fear, and notice an intensifying fire. In verse 21, Then these men were bound in their coats, their hose, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This intensifying fire. And, and could I just say this? It's going to get worse. We look at our world today and we think, how could this get worse? The Bible says it's going to get worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But the very next verse says, but continue thou 
in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Just because the world gets bad doesn't give us a pass. We must be faithful. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Satan is very aware that he is operating on a short amount of time. He understands that one day that trumpet's going to sound. One day the, the prophetic calendar is going to start to move. And Satan is ultimately going to be cast into a lake of fire forever. And so Satan understands he has a very short time in which to accomplish his work of destruction. And so it's going to get worse. Thus we must gird up the loins of our of our, we must gird up the loins of truth in our heart and stand for that truth. Truth, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we see a provocation, we see a proclamation, we see a pressure. But then notice fourthly a protection. And this is the part the devil hates. This is the part of the story the devil doesn't want us to read. He hates this part. But notice the surprised king in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Here's a surprised king. You know, God is always one step ahead of the devil. I was telling someone this morning, never play chess with God. He's always five or six moves ahead of you, right? And God is ahead of these men. He's ahead of this destruction. And God has it all figured out. I was reading in Ecclesiastes uh, a while back, and sometimes we say, I never saw this verse before. I'm sure I saw it before, but I never made an application before. And I was reading this, and it was so timely. In Ecclesiastes 5, and verse 9, the Bible says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in the province. Well, I stopped there and I thought, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing the poor oppressed. I'm seeing judgment and justice perverted in America. We wonder if there is any justice. We wonder if there is any judgment. Where are the laws? Where are the court systems? Where you know? And so I thought, I'm seeing that. So he says, if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in the province, he says, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regarded, and there is that is higher than they. Wow. God is very aware of all the injustice going on in this world right now. You think God fell asleep over there in Ukraine? He's well aware. He's well aware of what's going on. We may not be totally aware. We get bits and pieces. I was in Florida last weekend and found myself in a very large Ukrainian settlement there. Two out of the five deacons in the church were from Ukraine. I spent last Sunday afternoon talking with people in Ukraine on the phone with their loved ones. Trying to encourage them to get saved or trying to encourage them to to take precautions and get out. We've been in constant communication this week with a girl in Ukraine who is registered to be a freshman at West Coast next fall. Right now, she's somewhere between her home and the border of Poland trying to get out with her mom while her dad and her brother fight. We know bits and pieces. But my friend, God is fully aware. 
He is fully aware. God knows what's going on in the streets in America, and God knows what's going on in the courtrooms, and God knows what's going on in your life, and he's, He's higher than everything that's going on. We see a surprise king, but we see a sovereign keeper. Look at verse 25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Now remember, a few verses before, the guys who threw them in there were all burned to death. When they bring these men out, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. A sovereign keeper. Boy, aren't you glad that no matter what we go through, we have a sovereign keeper. We have one that's in control. We have one that surrounds us. And he says in Isaiah 48, When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. In fact, the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Friends, God's with you today. God will be with you this week. We don't even know what's going to unfold in this world. I mean, we came kind of close to seeing the world dissolve this week with that nuclear power plant being hit. I mean, all of Europe could have been wiped out. They said it would have been ten times as catastrophic as Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Imagine if that fire had not been put out. And they kept firing at that thing. Half the world could have been gone this last week. Aren't you glad that God's in control? By the way, the Russians are not going to destroy this world. God's already said he's going to do that. And it's coming later, after we're gone. He's going to destroy this world by fire. And he's going to make a new heaven, a new earth. So he's got this. God is in control. I have a missionary friend over in China. I've preached for him a few times in the underground church over there and. Last time I was there, he told me a story. A few months before, his wife's father had become ill here in America. And it was determined that she and the four children would come back to the States for a few weeks to tend to her father, to try to be there through uh, some surgeries and things of that nature. And so uh, he decided, the missionary decided, he, he should stay in China just with the way the church was at that moment. He felt like he shouldn't leave. So he sent his wife and his four children back to the States. And he thought, you know, I'm going to use this time. I have more time uh, to to devote to the church with my family gone. He said, I'm going to invest in some of the men a little bit more. And he had been working with one particular young man uh, with uh, taking some leadership in the church. And one of the things that he had been teaching him how to do was to lead singing. And uh, because this particular missionary, he, he plants a church, an underground church, and then he gets a pastor to take it, and he moves on to another place and starts another one. And so he was getting the church kind of that point. And, and so this young man had shown some musical um, uh, ability, and so he had taught him how to lead songs. Well, on a Wednesday night, he said, I want you to lead the singing tonight. 
And he said, you're ready. We've practiced several songs, and we'll sing those tonight. And he said, uh, what I'm going to do is after I introduce you to lead the singing, I'm going to go stand on the side wall so that I can watch you and the congregation. I want to make sure you're connecting with them and, and they're responding to what you're saying and doing. And I want to observe the whole thing. So I'm going to just stand on the side and, and you lead the singing. So the service started. He introduced this young man, would lead the singing, and he went and stood on, against the wall. And during the first stanza of the first hymn they sang, 10... Chinese police entered the back door, all with guns in hand. And they stood across the back. And there was a commander in charge of them, and he had a little notebook and a pen. He had pistols on both sides of his hips. And those men stood there with those guns, and this commander is looking over the crowd and writing some things on, the, on a note card. My missionary friend was standing there against that wall. Now, my missionary friend is, is 6'4". He has blonde hair, and he's pale as a ghost. He's, he's very light-complected. He does not look Asian, is what I'm trying to say. He's standing against the wall. And this captain looked over the crowd. He's writing things. And, and the missionary is thinking to himself, how am I going to get word to my wife and my kids? Because he knows they're going to be arrested. The church has been found. They're taking names. Um, we're, we're done. You know, I'm going to be taken to prison tonight. And they'll confiscate my cell phone. How am I going to get word to my wife of what happened? That's what he's thinking. Well, the first song ended, and he kind of gave a signal to the song leader to sing another one. They sang for 30 minutes. And those men stood across the back, the commander writing notes. And finally, after about 30 minutes, he gave a signal to those men, and they walked out. And they've never heard from since. And he said, Brother Gedge, I don't think they saw me. And I'm like, they saw you. You're 6'4". You're blonde. You're not Asian. They you know what? Maybe they didn't see you. We have a sovereign keeper. You read several times in the Bible where people didn't see what they should have seen. Where God blinded their eyes. He withheld them that privilege of seeing what everybody else could see. We have a sovereign keeper. And don't underestimate what God can do in some difficult times. This was a difficult time for these men to take this stand for God. And yet God is with them every step of the way. And notice what it all culminates in. It culminates finally in praise. Remember when I started, this is our purpose for being here, to bring praise to Him. Now notice the praise that comes as a result of this story. Everything we encounter is for that ultimate purpose of praise. And we see a respected position here. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God, notice the capital letter G, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any little g-god except their own big g-god. Here was a respected position... They had yielded their bodies to the will of God. 
They'd said, you know what? That furnace doesn't look very good. That furnace looks intimidating. That furnace looks like it's going to take our life. But they yielded themselves to that furnace. And some will never admit it, but your stand for Christ gets the attention of people. When you take a stand at work, when you take a stand amongst your family members, when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, they may not admit it, but they will respect you. I believe Saul of Tarsus got saved because there was a man named Stephen who was martyred nobly, who when he died, his face shone like that of an angel. When they stoned Stephen to death, Stephen said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Basically the same thing Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When you stay true to the Lord, when you stay true under pressure, when you stay true in the midst of provocation, the world will respect your position. And notice that turns to a rightful praise. In verse 29, here's the king now. Remember, this is the guy that said, when you hear that sound of that music, you bow down and worship my gods. And if not, we're going to put you in a fiery furnace. Notice what he says now. Therefore, I make a decree, verse 29, that every people, nation, language would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made a dunghill because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. Here's a rightful praise. And isn't that what it's all going to end with one day? Every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it's all coming down to. So is Satan provoking you today? Is he bringing some difficulty in your life? That isn't unusual or out of the ordinary. What is unusual or extraordinary is when we allow God to turn that provoking into praise. Last spring, I got a a text from a young lady who attended West Coast Baptist College 20 years ago. I try to stay in contact with all of our alumni. We have over 3,000 now, and I try to text them individually twice a year and just say howdy. And some of them text me back, and some of them say good riddance or whatever. But but, uh, I I get some responses back from a lot of them. And I just try to stay in touch with them. And I had done that with this young lady, but I hadn't seen her in 20 years. I knew she got married. I knew her husband was a pastor, and and, uh, that was about it. I didn't really even remember where they were living. But I got a text, and... She said, Brother Getch, this summer my son, Judson, is coming to camp. He's getting to go to camp for the first time in his life. He's never been to camp. And he gets to go this year, and he's going to be at a camp where you're preaching. And she said, I can't wait. I've told him all the stories from college about you. And she said, I've, I've built you up. And she said, uh, he's looking forward to meeting you. And she said, I, I just want you to be praying for him. He'll be at camp, and, and she told me where, and, and I, I kind of made a note of it, you know, but it was still several months away, and, and I thought, well, that, that's nice. About a month before camp, though, she texted me again, and she said, my son's coming to camp, and reminded me about it, and I, I, I took it a little more seriously, put it on a to-do list, make sure I meet Judson when I'm at that camp, and, and uh, she kind of described him in her text, what, he, what I'd be looking for, and she said he's so excited to be at camp, and hear the preaching, and be in the activities. Well, I got to that camp, and the first night I was walking down to the preaching auditorium, and you have to come down these stairs, and 
then there's kind of a long walk in between some split-railed fences on both sides. And I'm walking toward that auditorium, and most of the kids are kind of just milling around. The service isn't going to begin for another 20 minutes or so, but I'm walking through there, and there's a there's a boy sitting on that split rail fence about maybe maybe about a I don't know maybe about 50 yards uh, down the trail, and I, I noticed him. He's sitting on the fence. I'm, I'm thinking, are you supposed to sit on the fence? I don't know if you're supposed to sit on the fence. You know, it's a nice fence. And uh, but as I got closer, I th- he's looking. He's looking toward me, and I'm thinking, hey, that might be Judson. I mean, there's about I don't know four or five hundred kids there, but I thought that might be Judson. He seems like he's waiting for somebody. I got within about 25 feet of him, and he jumped off that fence, and he started running up to me, and I said, your name's Judson. He said, yeah. How do you know me? I said, I know your mom. He said, oh, that explains a lot. (laughs) And and I met Judson, 14-year-old kid, first time at camp. He is pumped. He is excited. We walked into that auditorium, and I'm talking about his mom and saying good things about her, and boy, you can be thankful. You've got a good mom and a dad and all that kind of thing, and and he was just excited about the service. It started, and I, I got my eye on him. And, boy, he's sitting there taking notes and his Bible open. He's engaged. And Judson was having the time of his life. I'd see him every day. He'd come up and say something to me and some of the decisions he was making, different things. On Wednesday, I got a text from his mom. She said, Billy Gedge, my husband has suddenly passed away. And she said, I have talked with my pastor, and we've decided that we're not going to tell Judson yet. He's at camp, first time in his life, and he's having such a great time, he's making good decisions. And this is not going to be easy for him. And my pastor said we should just wait till camp's over. But she said, I wanted you to know because I know you'll pray for him. And, and, and maybe, maybe you can say something that would prepare him. Wow. Boy, those next couple of days as I preached... I think about every word I was saying because I didn't want to say anything that wouldn't help in some way Judson to be able to receive this news. My heart was so heavy for him. I'd see him and we'd talk just like nothing was going on and it was just so hard not to show a countenance of concern. Thursday late afternoon, I got another text from his mom and she said, I'm coming up. Word is starting to leak out, and I'm afraid Judson's going to hear it from someone else. And she said, I, I've got to come and get him. We've got to make the funeral arrangements. He's going to have to be a part of that. And so I've got a friend in town there by the camp where I can stay tonight. I'll, I'll probably not get in until about 1 in the morning. I'm, I, I'm going to finish work and then leave. She said, tomorrow morning, then I'll, I'll tell him and, and take him home. And she said, would you help me tell him? Ooh, I didn't sleep much that night. I remember going into the director's office that next morning with Judson. There sat his mom, who he was somewhat surprised to see. 
I sat there and tried to just pray and ask God to somehow hover over this thing. His mother, through her tears, told Judson that his daddy was in heaven. Judson, when he heard that, his his first words were, maybe it's a mistake. In his mind, he was thinking, no, it can't be. My dad, gone? He said, maybe it's a mistake. And his mother tried to say something. I said, Judson, it's not a mistake. Your daddy's with the Lord. Tears began to well up in his eyes. And he hugged his mom. And then he looked at me and he said, Mr. Gudge, he said, I love Jesus. And the devil's not going to get me. You know what, as I thought, how the devil tried to just slam that teenager as hard as he could. There's a God that's able to withstand that provocation in our lives and cause us in that moment by his grace to give him glory and I don't know what the devil's got planned for you or me this week but he's got something let's determine now let's determine this morning when it comes whatever it is I already know who my God is and I'm going to trust him and he's not going to steal my joy my praise from him. Provoked, yes, but provoked to praise. These men were provoked, but in the end, it turned to the praise of his glory. And that's what needs to happen in our lives this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for knowing ahead of time what we're going to face. And thank you, Lord, that you always prepare the way. And I'm sure many times when the devil's planning an attack on us, you stop him before we ever feel it. Because you can do that. There are other times when you prepare us to withstand that attack for the very purpose of you receiving glory. I think of what you said at the time when Lazarus passed away. You said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And you provided a miracle of resurrection that changed the hearts of many people as a result. Lord, you're always way ahead of the situation. And Lord, whatever we face this week, I pray that we would remember to trust you, knowing that you have not forsaken us. You've not run away in a time of difficulty. And so work in our lives. And I pray if there's someone here that does not know you as Savior, that Lord, they would be saved today so they could have that, that wonderful Savior in their life, that friend who would stick closer than a brother through every situation we face. And so work in this moment of invitation this morning, I pray. Our heads are bowed. Let's stand quietly. And Jen will begin to play there at the piano. And as she does, if you'd like to come for a moment and spend some time with the Lord, either here at the altar or there at your seat, determine now. Determine ahead of time. Satan's not bluffing. He has some real attacks that he plans to bring our way. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble.
Lord, as we think about this story, we, we think about how these men, because of their stand, were able to change the king's word. And Lord, you can change anything that you desire to change in this world. And I pray that we'd be the kind of Christians that would show you faithfulness so that you would indeed change some things in our world that we might continue to reach people with the gospel. Lord, nothing's happening by accident. And so, Lord, this week, may we live in faith. May we live in power. May we live in your strength. And, Lord, may this week our lives bring glory and honor to you. Whether in good or in in evil times, I pray that we'd be faithful to you. Thank you for these people. And I pray that you gird them with your strength now as they go their way. Prepare them for this week a life of victory, a life of service, a life of praise. We will give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Announcements.